to episode 33 of the year here at Mocha's Jams. And I didn't want today to go by so you get a second episode on June 7th because it's the 105th birthday of Gwendolyn Elizabeth Brooks. She was born on June 7th, 1917 in Topeka, Kansas. So we're going to get into a little bit of her poetry and her story. So sit back, relax, go get that coffee, and thank you for joining me. I'm your host, Mocha Sixta, here on Mocha's Jams. Who is Gwendolyn Elizabeth Brooks? She was born in 1917, and she died in 2000. She was born in Topeka, Kansas, the first child of David and Keziah Brooks. She is a Chicagoan. The family moved to Chicago shortly after her birth. And despite her extensive travels and periods in a lot of other parts of the country, she remained associated with the city south side where I was born, okay? So what her strong family lacked in material wealth was made bearable by the wealth of human capital that resulted in her warm interpersonal relationships. While in Chicago, she attended High Park High School, the leading white high school in the city at the time. But then she transferred to an all-black school, Wendell Phillips, and then to an integrated Inglewood High School. In 1936, she graduated from Wilson Junior College. These four schools gave her a perspective on racial dynamics in a city that influenced her work. Her profound interest in poetry informed much of her early life. Her first poem was called Even Tide, and it was published in the American Childhood Magazine in 1930. A few years later, she met James Weldon Johnson and Langston Hughes, who urged her to read modern poetry, especially the work of Ezra Pound, uh, T.S. Eliot, and E.C. Cummings, who emphasized the need to write as much infrequently as she possibly could. In 1934, Brooks became an adjunct uh, member of the Chicago Defender and published almost 100 of her poems in a weekly poetry column. Wow, I did not know that. In 1938, she married Henry Blakely and moved to a kitchenette apartment on Chicago's South Side. Between the birth of her first child, Henry Jr., in 1940, and the birth of Nora in 1951, She became associated with the group writers involved in Harriet Monroe's Still Stant Poetry, a magazine of verse. From this group, she received either further encouragement, and by 1943, she had won the Midwestern Writers Conference Poetry Award. In 1945, her first book of poetry, A Street in Bronxville, which is a part of the Southside community, it was published in Harbor. Harper and Rowe brought her instant acclaim. She was selected as one of Mademoiselle's magazine's 10 Young Women of the Year. She won her first Guggenheim Fellowship, and she became a fellow of the American Academy of Arts and Letters. Her second book of poetry, Annie Allen, published in 1949, it won a poetry magazine, Eunice uh, Titan's uh, Prize in 1950. Gwendolyn Brooks became the first African-American to win a Pulitzer Prize. From that time to present, she's been seen 
the recipient of a number of awards, fellowships, and honorary degrees, uh, usually designated as Doctor of Humane Letters. President John Kennedy invited her to read at a Library of Congress Poetry Festival in 1962. In 1985, she was appointed poetry consultant to the Library of Congress. And just as she was uh, receiving another Pulitzer Prize for poetry, it marked a milestone in her career. So did her selection by the National Endowment of the Humanities in 1994, Jefferson Lecturer, the highest award in the humanities given by the federal government. Her first teaching job is at my old college. Yes, she, ta she taught a poetry workshop at Columbia College in 1963. She went on to teach creative writing at a number of institutions, Northeastern Illinois University, Elmhurst College, Columbia University, Clay College of New York, and the University of Wisconsin. At a turning point in her career came in 1967, she attended the Fisk University Second Black Writers Conference and she decided to become more involved in the black arts movement. Therefore, afterwards, she became one of the most visible articulators of the black uh, experience. Her awakening led to a shift away from major publishing house to smaller ones. Now, some critics found an angrier, angrier tone in her work, elements of protest that had always been present in her writing career, and um, an awareness of social issues that did not result, you know, in some of the uh, earlier works. She became a leader of one of the phase of the black arts movement in Chicago and did not alter her poetry. But there were some subtle changes that became more noticeable as her work became more prominent. Um, Gwendolyn was a prolific writer. In addition to writing individual poems, essays, and reviews that appeared in numerous publications. She issued a number of books, and they include Maud Martha, uh, published in 1953, Bronzeville Boys and Girls, 1956, and In the Mecca, 1968, year I was born. <laughs> Her poetry moved from traditional forms, including ballads, sonnets, variations of uh, all kinds of stanzas, as well as rhythm, of the blues to the most unrestricted free verse. In short, the popular forms of English poetry appeared in her work, yet there was a strong sense of experimentation as she used lyric, narrative, and dramatic poetic forms. In her lyrics, there is an affirmation of life that rises above the stench of urban kitchenette buildings. Her narrative poetry, the stories are simple, but usually transcend the restrictions of Place in her dramatic poetry, the characters are often memorable, not because of any heroism on their part, but merely because they are trying to survive from day to day. Um, I can say so much about this woman. My goodness, she's <laughs> like one of my favorite writers. So, what are her influences? Well, according to the work that I've done and, and research that I've done. There are identifiable poetic traditions in understanding Gwendolyn Brooks' work. Um, some of it is exemplified by John Donne, 19th century American poetry. One can detect elements of Walt Whitman, Emily Dickinson, Paul Lawrence Dunbar. Her 20th century American poetry, there are strains of T.S. Eliot, the frequent use of lowercase for titles in the manner of E.E. E. Cummings, and racial consciousness of the Harlem Renaissance. 
And this is especially found in the work of County Cullen and Langston Hughes. The greater importance seemed to be a direct descendant of urban commitment and attitude from the Chicago School of Writing. For Brooks, it goes beyond the Midwest with a focus on Chicago and concentrates on a small, neglected corner of the city. Uh, what I love about all of this that we are learning and talking about, Gwendolyn, is that she was fantastic at her craft, and that resulted in her being a poet laureate of Illinois in 1968. She was very active. Uh, she did a lot in terms of spreading poetry and talking about poetic forms and teaching young people about uh, inner city children and, 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 and helping them to see beyond their circumstances and, and to tap into the poetry of their lives. You know, she taught audiences that poetry is not some form activity close, close to all, but it's, it's all about perception. And it is an art form that is within reach for everyone. So <laughs> with that being said, whew, we are going to get into two or three poems by Gwendolyn Brooks. Thank you for listening to this extended bio and information about this great, amazing artist who left us with so much to delve into. Again, the next section will have the first poem, which is called Kitchenette Building. Kitchenette Building by Gwendolyn Brooks. All rights reserved to Gwendolyn Brooks. We are things of dry hours in the involuntary plan. Grayed in and gray. Dream. Dream makes a giddy sound, not strong like rent. Feeding a wife, satisfying a man. But could a dream send up through onion fumes its white and violet? Fight with fried potatoes in yesterday's garbage ripening in the hall. Flutter or sing an aria down these rooms. Even, even if we were willing to let it in, had time to warm it. Keep it very clean. Anticipate a message. Let it begin. We wonder, but not well, not for a minute. Since number five is out of the bathroom now, we think of lukewarm water. Hope to get it in. The second poem, it is called A Song in the Front Yard. I've stayed in the front yard all my life. I want to peek in the back where it's rough and unattended and hungry weed grows. A girl gets sick of a rose. I want to go in the backyard now and maybe down the alley to where the charity children play. I want a good time today. They do some wonderful things. They have some wonderful fun. My mother sneers, but I say it's fine. How they don't have to go in at a quarter to nine. My mother, she tells me that Johnny May will be up, will grow up to be a bad woman. That George will be taken to jail soon or late. On account of last winter, he sold our back gate. But I say, 
I say it's fine. Honest, I do. And I like to be a bad woman, too, and wear the brave stockings of night black lace and strut down the streets with paint on my face. This last poem is called The Independent Man. Now, who could take you off to tiny life in one room or two rooms or in three and cork you smartly like the flask of wine? You are not any woman, not a wife. You let her twirl you, give you a good glee, showing your, your leaping ruby to a friend. Though twirly would be meek, since not a cork, could you allow for being made so free? A woman would be so wise to think it well if once a week you only rang the bell. What I love about uh, her poetry is the diversity in it. And, you know, I got uh, very familiar with this um, poet's work as a teaching artist. I used to teach grades K through 12 and I did that for about eight years and in the first year and a half of my experience as a teaching artist I won the Gwendolyn Brooks Poetry Award for excellent work in schools um, honored by the Poetry Center in Chicago at the time I was teaching in the Chicago Public Schools I also taught all over the city what I love so much about her work and her foundation is spreading the love of literacy in the in the world that we have going on right now. My hat goes off to anyone teaching Gwendolyn Brooks poetry, teaching young people all forms of poetry, not limiting yourself to poetry and a certain poetry form. And it's one of the challenges I had as a teaching artist is to go outside of what I know. I am a black woman, but the black experience is not the only experience to to expound about and and share with young people you share everything with young people you share you share you know of Robert Frost and 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 you you know Neruda and any other writer that you can that's a poet not just limited to too many forms um, so what that's what I love about what as you think about her writing experience and how she had multiple forms, you know, writing in lowercase, writing and being influenced by the traditional poets from the 19th century and, you know, uh, in the Harlem Renaissance influence and, you know, other forms that are more like, you know, the Chicago School of Writing and going beyond what you feel comfortable with. She, like, educated herself on all forms of poetry and that's why I think she was selected as a poet laureate because she represented poetry not just poetry from one aspect of her being a black woman she she represented all types of poetic forms and experiences and yes she had some focuses of the Harlem Renaissance and social justice and the urban experience but she went beyond that so I encourage you to look up some Gwendolyn Elizabeth Brooks poetry and familiarize yourself with it as well. Thank you for going with me on this journey. I'll talk to you guys soon. Be well and have a wonderful, wonderful day.